Well, get a little Justin socks there. Those are something. I don't know if I'd have the courage, but that's good. I like that. Yeah. Good morning. Hope you're having a happy uh, Memorial Day weekend. We like these weekends, kind of official start to summer. And uh, these summer months are great, aren't they? They go too quickly, though. Well, I hope you're having a, a good one in the midst. I'm glad you're here to worship with us. Take a moment to fill out a connection card, if you would, this morning. And uh, remember, those of you who aren't official members, maybe you've been attending for a while, we'd love you to have a, a real, be a real part of our family of faith here. And so starting point is next Sunday, right after this service at 12.15 for lunch. You've got to eat somewhere. You might as well eat here. Now, look, if you've been here for a while, what happens is you get kind of comfortable. It's sort of like being, you ever date anybody for a long time and you wonder, is this going anywhere or not? You know, that's sort of like it is when you, you start a church and you come for a long time, period of time, and you get so relaxed, but you're never really, you never really became a part. You never really signed in. And that's what starting point is about, is to help take you along and to a, a better connection with the body of Christ and our purpose for being together. And so if you've been dating us for a while, uh, how about a relationship that's going to be long lasting? So let's get married, okay? Next week, let's get married. All right. All right. We're here to uh, love the Lord together. These uh, roses right here, there's another bouquet in the sanctuary service, and uh, together they represent people who have died uh, from our membership this past year and gone on to be with the Lord, and we are thankful for all those who have gone before us and whose steps we are walking in into that great day we get to be there as well. So I hope this weekend, sometime, you're just remembering those who have gone before you, those who have loved you. Uh, you've learned from people of faith, especially who have, who have been a good testimony for you and one of the reasons you're sitting here today. Let's uh, pray as we continue today. Our Father in heaven, how good it is to be alive and not only to be alive, but to be alive in Christ because uh, you have taught us in your word that without him we are dead and uh, we are thankful for Jesus, Father, and we're still wrestling with so much about what you have for us. We're still trying to understand you more and more deeply and better so that we can be more solidly grounded in who you are and your truth and your word. And so I pray today will even help us to that end. We thank you that we can be together in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, this whole, these whole several weeks since Easter, we've been dealing with being raised to new life. And today we are, re we are reminded that this new stance we have because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember, Peter is writing those who are under great persecution, and he wants them to stay strong to the very end. Chapter 5, beginning with verse 5, reads, In the same way you are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So you've guessed it. Hey, I'm, I'm warning you. I'm going to give you the devil because that's what our text is about today, the devil. And uh, we need to understand him. Uh, this text is so important for us 
in uh, being strong in the Lord, realizing this battle that we're in, and uh, he's out to destroy us. We got to pay attention. So these three things to take with you. First of all, recognize the devil. Recognize the devil. Verse 8 says, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy, the devil. People are never your enemy. The people that make life hard for you, the, the, the circumstances that want to do you in. You know, we want to make people, the, there is one enemy, the devil, Satan, the evil one, the accuser. And he will use all kinds of ways, even through other people, to strike at your confidence, your hope, your trust in the Lord, whatever it is. Would you recognize him? If you saw him, it's not easy because he's a master of disguise. When I was growing up, I remember this little grocery, corner grocery store, and right behind the counter, every time I stared at these cigarette fluid cans called Red Devil. Anybody remember Red Devil cans? You know, there was the, 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 the old devil's on the front. He's got horns and a long tail. He's red. He's wicked. And I kind of remember shaking a little bit when I saw it. And that's how I remember learning about but that's a caricature. That's what that is. And the evil one wants us to think of him in a caricature-like way. He wants us to think of him as some kind of mythological creature. Uh, horror movies would even picture him in some weird ways like that. Oh, man, he is so attractive. And... Uh, in the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. The Screw Tape Letters, remember, is a collection of letters uh, uh, from Wormwood, a senior demon who's giving advice to his nephew, Screw Tape, about how to tempt Christians. And he writes, The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Satan wants us to think he's a joke, that he's this just weird thing out there so we won't recognize him. And Satan has been very successful. Uh, Barner Research Group says uh, that about 95% of Americans will believe there's some kind of God. May not, maybe not the God we worship, but they believe in a higher being. 41% believe in the existence of the evil one, the devil. And Satan loves that. There's this great disparity between the two, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us because Satan knows that most people are not going to be Satan worshipers. Now, I've met a couple Satan worshipers. Maybe you have. But most people aren't going to be Satan worshipers. But if we could just, if he could just get us to disbelieve in him a bit, he will be successful. If we, if we keep him as something weird and out there that I can't relate to, uh, be prepared. Be prepared. Peter says, be alert. When Mel Gibson did The Passion of Christ, you remember that he presented Satan as a rather spooky... Um, androgynous kind of being. Well, Satan doesn't want us to think of him that way because we're not going to be drawn to him. Most people aren't going to be drawn to him. But he does want to not spook us, but entice us. And he does, doesn't he? How? Because Satan is, I mean, sin is so daggone fun. And it feels good for a while, doesn't it? That's what, sin has a pleasure to it. 
if it didn't, if it didn't feel pleasurable, we wouldn't be drawn to it. So Satan will use those kinds of things to draw us to himself. If you think he's ugly, you think again. He can appear rather beautiful. 2 Corinthians 11 says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You can't recognize Satan by how he looks, but you can recognize him by his voice because he's a liar. And Jesus said in John 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He has convinced many people either that he doesn't exist, he is able to present life in a way that evil is called good and good is called evil. He is able to make people think or to tempt people into thinking that you can sin without any repercussions. That somehow, you can, and if you do hurt, you're only hurting yourself. You're not hurting anybody else. And that is not true. That is a lie itself. If you want to know a triumphant life, you have to be able to recognize a liar. And you can't recognize a liar if you don't know the truth. And so that's why we have to be people of the book. So that, so that you know, when, that when lies are spoken, you know, we, we are alert. We know this isn't true. Second, respect the devil. Respect the devil. Verse 8 tells us what Satan is doing. It says he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, just insert your name there. You know, he's, he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to destroy Evan. He's, see, he's roaring like a... He's see, he, what is he doing? He's prowling. Prowling like a roaring lion seeking to devour Greg Helton back there. You know, and Steve Driggers. And, and I mean, just put your name in there. He's out to destroy you. He's out to destroy your child, your grandchildren, your family, your marriage. He will do anything he can to get a wedge in there to somehow do his destructive work. You, don't admire him, but respect him. Lion tamers who lose respect for the animal will probably lose their arm as well. A lion is one of the most formidable and powerful animals in God's creation. It grows to a length of over eight feet, not counting the tail, weighing 400 pounds. Lions can snap a zebra's neck with one chomp or wipe out a warthog with one swipe of its, of its beastly paw. No wonder he's king of the jungle. And you follow the hunting methods of African lions, and they're parallel with Satan because, first, Satan sneaks. A lion's preferred method is to hide by watering holes or by trails that animals follow and wait for an unsuspecting prey. And then they leap. They, they leap. They're equipped with this camouflage coloring that makes it hard for them to be detected. They're extremely patient. They will wait for hours until they pounce, and, and, and when they do, they, they, they do devour. The devil himself, is, he hides. The Bible says he'll wait for an opportune time to make his move. And then he does. 
See, his, 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 whole, his whole scheme is not to, get, to hate God. Most of us in here, I would, I would tend to say, there's nobody in here that ever thinks they could, that the devil would ever get them to hate God. But he will get us to doubt God. That's how he began in the garden, isn't it? He said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat of any fruit of the garden? Where God had put a period, Satan put a question mark. That's how he works. So you're flipping through the History Channel or Discovery Channel. You're going to one of your college classes. And you got a philosophy professor or a science professor who starts mocking people of the Christian faith. Mock those who believe in a creator, God. Mock those who would make a stand or ask a question that arises of what you've learned from the scripture. You'll be laughed out of the classroom. What are you going to do? You got to be prepared for that. Satan wants, you, wants to get you to ask, yeah, I mean, man, these science, he's a smart guy. That's a smart woman, professor, I have. I mean, she really knows her stuff. Maybe, maybe I am a fool for all of this. And Yeah, how can I trust the Bible? I mean, 2,000 years, 40 men wrote this over a period of 1,500 years. How can I really trust? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of nice people do anything for me. They don't believe in Jesus. You know, really, Jesus is the only way to go to heaven. Well, maybe there's not a real hell. Maybe this is all, see, all kinds of questions he stirs with, and if he can get us to doubt, we're on our way to being destroyed and devoured by him. That's why, friends, you have to be in the word of God. Not just in the word, but you have to do your, you have to train yourself. Like I said last week, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. There is no reason for anybody to be ignorant. There is plenty of evidence for our faith, but you have to do your work to know what that evidence is. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. I remember our youngest daughter, she, she's an occupational therapist, and she, she was in class, and they were talking about the aging process, and she said, you know, I've always found it interesting that people live so long in the beginning of the Bible, Methuselah, 960, or 969 years or whatever it was. And the professor just looked at her and said, I am not going to grace that statement with a response that's ignorant, and went on. You got to be ready for those kinds of statements. What will happen to your faith when a professor says that? When a friend says that? When a work associate says that? When your boss says that? What are you, how are you going to respond to that? And what will it do, more importantly, what will it do to your faith? Will it shatter you or make you dig deeper? I hope it makes you dig deeper and know how to respond to that. Satan stalks as well. It's, the lion is not the fastest animal, but, but they are experts at silently slipping up on the prey, then springing quickly. And, and lions, you know, lions are not limited to Africa. We do have mountain lions here. I've, I've read accounts where people have been stalked by mountain lions. One lady was, I remember her three kids several years ago at Big Bend National Park. And he stalked a long time until finally she was able to get her kids to the car. But of course, it was a fearful, fearful time. Lions are undaunted. They, they are out to kill and destroy He's prowling. He's looking for an easy target. In John one and uh, Job one, uh, God asks Satan, "What are you doing?" 
He says, I'm roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. He's stalking his prey. Of course, there he was targeting Job. John 10.10, Jesus said, this thief, this evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to steal your blessings and kill your joy and destroy your happiness. Third, Satan scares. He's a roaring lion. And a still night, researchers say, that a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away. And when they measured the volume of a lion's roar at 200 yards, the roar is measured at 100 decibels. That's the, that's the, the decibel level of a rock concert. That's the power in the roar. And what does the roar do? Well, it paralyzes its prey. It's a paralyzing roar. I remember when Ann Landers commented when she was writing her column for the papers, she said she'd get 10,000 letters a month and the predominating topic was fear in those letters. We live in a fearful time, don't we? Who would have, those of us who are old enough, I mean, how many, how many of us thought 15 or 20 years ago we'd be hearing about terror alerts in the world? We have a more, uh, we have, I don't know, well, I don't know if our time is shakier than ever. It's just that communication is such a high peak that we know things more than we have ever known before. Cert well, certainly the terror level, we can't deny it's, it, it, this is a relatively new thing for our particular culture. But you know, fear is a very real thing. Some of you here today are dealing with real fear in your life. And Satan wants to paralyze you in your faith. He wants to paralyze you from service. He wants to paralyze you from worship. He wants to paralyze you from being free in your life to function in the way that God has called you to function and designed you to function. God wants you, God wants you for himself. And, and there's victory. Just Satan is always this sinister minister who just uses fear for such paralysis. Jesus is, of course, the one in whom we have victory. So third, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Verse 9 says, resist him standing firm in the faith. Lions are scary. They are terrifying. But we have one in whom we have victory and triumph uh, over this evil one. Aesop's, one of his Aesop's lesser-known fables is uh, called The Lion in Love. It's a very short fable. It just has a few sentences to it. But it's about a lion who falls in love with a woodcutter's daughter. And he has to have her as his wife. And so he goes to the woodcutter asking for the, the, the woodcutter's daughter in marriage. Of course, the, 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 widower wants, the woodcutter wants, wants his daughter nothing to do with this great lion. And so he goes to the lion and says, you know, lion, we are so flattered that you want to have our daughter. And it would be a great joy and great delight for us to know that you're our son-in-law. But I'd have one request. If you would just allow me to take out your claws and your teeth, then you can have my daughter. And the, and the, and the lion fell for it. And so he was declawed. He became toothless. And then said to the woodcutter, now I'd like to have your daughter in marriage. Of course, the woodcutter was no longer in fear. And he drove him into the forest with a wooden club. The analogy is obvious, isn't it? Because in Jesus Christ, we, have, we, have, we face a toothless, clawless lion. If we stay strong in the Lord, 
If we choose to stand where he wants us to stand. If you want to deal with Satan, you really have to deal with yourself, first of all. Before you deal with Satan, we all have to deal with our own sin. And you know what our two biggest sins are? They're mentioned by Peter right before the statement about a lion. They are pride and anxiety. He says, be humble, all of you. God opposes the proud. It doesn't say he's not going to bless the proud. He doesn't say he's not going to deal with the proud. He's more assertive than that. He oppose. Do you want to be in opposition to God? God opposes the proud. And he supplies favor or grace. He looks with grace and favor toward those who are humble before. Friends, pride is the center of all of our sin. That's our rebelliousness. Our rebellion is about our pride. We want to be in charge of our lives. You want to be in charge of your life? That is pride. It's arrogance. And that's a matter of not, not accepting not accepting or, uh, um, God's grace. It's all about grace. If you can't accept God's grace, if you can't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and, and surrender to him, you have a pride issue. And I want you to know God opposes you today. He says next, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Now, aren't we all acquainted with anxiety? I don't think there's anybody here not acquainted with anxiety. And anxiety is a matter of not trusting God's grace. Pride is about not accepting his grace. Anxiety is about not trusting his grace. Now, look, if you're, what's your worst problem, my worst problem? My worst problem is my sin. Dealing with eternal damnation, condemnation because of my sin and rebellion. Christ Jesus took care of that on the cross, right? That's what grace is about. Now, if God took care of my worst problem, why do I think he's not big enough to take care of my lesser anxieties in life? It's like giving me a gift. It's nicely wrapped, but he keeps the ribbon for himself. I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous picture. No, he's not going to withhold any good thing from us if he's taking care of our worst problem. So as we deal with our sin and take our sin seriously then we're also dealing with Satan because we're allowing God's grace to penetrate us and capture us. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Say it with me. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, not forever. He'll come back at that more opportune time when we're weak. So what do we do? Three things. First, hold, please hear this seriously. First, Satan targets stragglers. So don't stray from God's flock. Are you a strayer? Are you a straggler? Do you, do you, are you in Bible study, in devotion, in worship service, only when it's convenient or as long as you're not too tired or there's not anything more important going on? You can't be a straggler and do well. Do you think your children and grandchildren are going to be strong against the wiles of this evil one and this modern age by casually getting them to church and to Christian friends and fellowship once a month, once every six weeks? Do you think they're really going to be equipped for this world? That's pure naivety, friends. 
It's not going to happen. We need to take every advantage we have to be in the assembly of saints. We need to come together in our life groups. We need to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. All this because of the subtlety. You know, lions aren't 100% effective. If they attack warthogs, they are 55% of the time successful and getting a meal. Warthogs tend to scatter when the prayer is on them. When lions attack zebra, they're successful 35% of the time. Because zebra tend to be, well, they have better camouflage for one thing. And they are more, they are more, they are prone to stay closer to the herd. When zebra, I mean, when, when lions attack impalas, they're successful only 22% of the time. Because impalas are even more connected to the herd. And when one is being attacked, uh, the impalas have been watched defending the one being attacked and even attacking the lion on that one's behalf. And when lions attack gazelles, they are least effective, only gaining a meal about 11% of the time because not only are they extremely herd-oriented and defensive of one another, but they also have an early warning system where they look outside. Always, There's always certain gazelle on the watch looking for the prayer. You do not, I do not, none of us have to be devoured by the roaring lion. This community of faith, and it can't be us, then you find another community of faith. If you can't be connected here, then you find somewhere where you can be connected to the body of Christ, serving, growing, loving, living, living closely together so that we can have this, this fellowship where we're watching out for each other, we defend each other, we are seeking the Lord together, we are deepening our lives together. Don't be a straggler. Second, Satan terrorized, or, or Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up meeting together as some and their habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Second, sin terrorizes the, Satan terrorizes the weak, so memorize the word. You're already groaning inside, aren't you? I want to challenge you to memorize the word. Now, if you just can't do that, at least be a student of the word. And stop asking me where it is. I hate it when people think preachers know where everything is in the Bible. If people say, hey, where do I find that? Well, I don't know. Google it. You know? <laughs> but what do you think I do? I Google it. I may know a certain things where things are. I may know certain uh, books to go to or chapters to go to. Or th- but most of the Bible, I don't know where it is. I'll just tell people, well, it's somewhere in the Bible. Go find it. You know? But be sure it's there. And when Jesus was fighting the evil in the wilderness, what was his comeback? It is written. You may not know book, chapter, and verse, but you've been long enough in the Lord, you know that does not sound God-like, and that's a lie of the evil one. I know the Bible says that. And you be strengthened in your faith. Know where to go. The psalmist wrote, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Does that describe you? Are you hiding the word of God more in your heart all the time? If you are not friends, you are not living a triumphant life. You can't without the word of God planted in you. And third, Satan trembles before God, so claim your victory in Jesus. Grasp and claim what Jesus has won. The cross has won. The the teeth of the lion have been broken. 
Job 4.10 says, The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. In fact, when male lions roar, all the other beasts fear except one, another male lion who takes that roar as a challenge to be the superior one. And Satan roars, friends, but the Bible speaks of a greater lion, the Lion of Judah, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has already been triumphant. He has already won. You see what's happening in that children's building and the, your D groups on Wednesday night and your life groups. What is happening? We are coming together to remind ourselves of the victory that we already have in Jesus Christ. We are being firmed up to face this evil one. Revelation 5 5 says, Do not weep. See, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 1 John 3 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Revelation 20 10 says, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, tormented day and night forever and ever. That's when Satan's doom will be signed, sealed, delivered forever. Until then, he's on the loose. He's the God of this age. He is roaring. He is a, he's a prowling lion seeking whom he will devour, even you. But we have one, this regal lion, the Lord Jesus, who gives us peace and a purpose, who humbles us, and who, in whose grace we find exactly what we need for life. I like what this author wrote. Our enemy is defeated. He is a toothless lion who makes a lot of noise. Jesus is our victor, and it is he who has removed the sting of death from our enemy, knocking out his teeth. He has given us his victory, and there is now no more authority in even the youngest babe in Christ than there is in Satan's whole demon lair. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The victory has been won, and we don't fight every day in this faith battle. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We fight because of victory, because of the cross of Christ. We are fighting because we know who's already won the war. But even though he's won the war, there are all these battles along the way because Satan doesn't get it. But one day he will forever and ever. No wonder, no wonder. I love that hymn. Uh, some of you know it. One of the verses says, ah, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. No wonder victory in Jesus is so supreme. And no wonder the Apostle Paul wrote, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's who we are. Stay alive in him. Let's stand and worship this great king.